Hey everyone, and welcome to the 16th episode of Family Football. I'm here with uh, my favorite Sonwala. How are you doing, Sonwala? Uh, fantastic. Thank you, Yash. And, uh, you know, we're recording this on Mother's Day, so uh, if there are any listeners who are mothers, uh, happy Mother's Day to them. And if not, happy Mother's Day to the mothers of our listeners. <laughs> Yeah, happy Mother's Day to everyone. Uh, you know, hope you have a great Sunday. Um, but how have you been? You know, it's been two weeks. How's the weather been in Arizona? Is it getting warmer? Yeah, it's now? warming up. It's nice. Uh, but uh, early mornings are still uh, very nice. Late evenings are still very nice. Before long, even early mornings and evenings will be extremely unpleasant. Right. I'm actually playing with the idea of getting into our pool today. That would be a first for 2021. So let's see how that goes. Nice, nice. Did you like get it clean recently and stuff? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, uh, you know, they they're cleaning it on a weekly basis. So uh, you know, but it's just a case of it is warming up, but it takes um, without getting into the technicalities of it, <laughs> a little longer for the water to get uh, like warm, like we like it when we jump in. So maybe maybe today, maybe another week or two. I think. Yeah, I remember whenever like last um, last few years. I used to hear of you going into the pool a bunch and stuff. That's really good. You know, I, I don't think I've jumped into a pool in a while, which is kind of unfortunate. I, but, I mean, you are bathing, I hope, even though you... Yeah, no, that is are. true, yeah. yeah. I, I just, like, fill up my bathtub and I act like I'm swimming there. You know, that's my goal. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so um, a lot of football has been going on. Um, you know, I was going to tell you, you know, I've started doing something really interesting where... I've like picked one team from each league, and I've only been like trying to watch at least watch their games on the weekend. So yeah, that's for, a cool thing to do, you know. I, yeah, yeah, I, uh, you know, and it's interesting. Um, I'm curious to hear. Let's go through each league and hear your, what your affiliated team is. Yeah, because okay. I kind of had teams I like in every league. Um, as it happens, you know, I really only watch England and Germany on a regular basis, but I have kind of teams that I like in other leagues. So I'm really curious to hear yours. Let's go uh, through them one by one. First okay. of all, uh, first of all, who do you like in England? Only kidding. Only kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to, uh, okay, yeah, tell me. Let's go through all the major leagues. Uh, okay, so um, for Italy, I was uh, watching Atlanta play. So I watched like their last two weeks sure. of games. Um, I watched their like 4-0 and then their 1-2-1 or two one defeat last week or something. Yeah. Um, so Joseph Milicic, really, yeah. I think, is just such a beautiful footballer to watch. You know, he just has, he's yeah. so graceful and elegant and he just, he sees, you know, some like some of my favorite footballers, he seems to see the entire 360 degrees around him, you know. It's, you know, there's some really interesting players. They have like Zapata. They have, and they have this left-footed Colombian also that plays with them. I think his name is Munier. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're just playing some really good football. And I was like, okay, you know, this is this is more fun to watch at least, uh, you yeah. know, rather than the random Premier League game. Other than you know your favorite yeah. team that you end up watching. Yeah. What about you? Who do you like watching at the Italian Serie? Uh, yeah. So I don't watch it regularly. Um, I guess if there was a team. I would follow there. It would probably be Napoli, I think. I really yeah. like, you know, I just like the whole kind of, um, you know, culture surrounding Naples as a football club all the way go, going back to Maradona, the history, the fact that they feel outsiders, you know, that they're, they're, they're down in the south, uh, they're a Bay Area, they're, 
there's kind of a lot of poverty there as well. It's just a lot of things about the city that makes me want them to do well. Uh, but Napoli would be my team, I think, if I was watching Serie A regularly. And, they, you know, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, do they still play like similar to the way Sari was making them play a few years back? Uh, you know, not massively differently. Gattuso, uh, Gennaro Gattuso... Um, is uh, managing there and even though he's not known for being perhaps the most tactically nuanced uh, manager he's done really well and uh, he has them playing a similar 4-3-3 uh, to uh, Sarri now you know they're three years out from Sarri now um, you know Ancelotti was in for a while after Sarri and now they've moved on to Cattuso. Um but yeah it, it's not massively different um, you know, they still have some of the players uh, like Insigne and Dries Mertens and Koulibaly, who were important parts of Sari's team, are still um, important and highly revered footballers down there. So, yeah, it, it's not massively dissimilar. Okay. Um, so then moving on to in um, the La Liga, I've got Villarreal. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were they're a fun team to watch. They have this winger named Chikwesi. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's just again just has really good left like a really good left foot. Yeah, he's fast you know? as well. Right? Yeah. They've got some interesting. They've got Alba uh, Alberto Moreno, you know, he's been yeah, recovering yeah. from an injury. They've yeah. got uh Coquelin. Kapue pulling the strings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, did you catch the scores of the Europa League at all? You know, they beat yeah, Arsenal. Yeah, I did. I catched the scores. And actually, I watched uh, just while I was taking a lunch break on Thursday, I watched a little bit of the Arsenal Villarreal game. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Villarreal uh, are, are an interesting team. Unai Emery seems to just specialize in doing well in that competition from yeah. all the times he won it with Sevilla. Yeah, uh, he's taken Villarreal all the way, uh, and I'm sure United will be the strong favourites in the final. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think Villarreal have had a good season. They're probably vying with Real Sociedad for the title of fifth best team in Spain after those big four. Yeah, uh, but you know they're an interesting and good team. I think if I supported a team in Spain, it would be Athletic Bilbao. Mm -hmm. And again, um, I just love the whole kind of purity of the concept that they only pick Basque players who, 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 uh, who were born and raised in that region. And uh, despite that, uh, along with Real Madrid and Barcelona, they're one of only three clubs that have never been relegated from La Liga. Interesting. So, very, very unique in world football in that they just still to this day, they call it um, that region in Basque is called the Cantera and they will only pick players who are from the Cantera and uh, despite that um, you know they've managed um, to, to retain their top flight. I mean it's the equivalent it's such a radical concept can you imagine if say for instance Chelsea only uh, fielded players who were born and raised in London or yeah. say <laughs> or Manchester United only fielded players who were born and raised in the greater Manchester region and um Bilbao have, have stuck to their guns historically that that's what they want to do. That's what they represent. They have a super strong academy and they are a selling club. You know, players, when they get big offers for their players, they, it's impossible for them to resist because they have yeah. to sell solvent. 
but yeah, they've always got interesting obviously. players coming through the academy to replace them. So I just think it's a wonderful concept, and that yeah. that, that would be in Spain if I watched them. So okay, moving on now to Germany. Who's, who's your team in Germany? I think it was Dortmund. I think that was an yeah. easy pick for me because I just yeah, wanted yeah. to see the best way to see the you know most upcoming superstars or I mean youngsters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, you know um, Dortmund are just stacked with them. Um, I didn't get to watch yesterday's game again against Leipzig, but I think I'm gonna watch the replay. Yeah, but, I love like, Dortmund too. Uh, so, yeah, Dortmund too for all the same reasons you're stating. Yeah. So you know, I wanted. What about to France? Do you have a team in France? I mean, I don't even consider yeah. that a major league anymore. But uh, no, no, unfortunately, I don't. I no. I wish I watched French football. Yeah. Maybe I will. Uh, yeah. Do you have any suggestions or anything? Any team? No, I think I, I kind of like Marseille. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, for similar reasons for why I like uh, Napoli. You know, it's just a slightly separate little city-state within the country of France. They consider themselves separate from everybody else. They're very economically and ethnically diverse place. So I just have an affinity for that city. So if I had a thing... Like you, I don't really watch French football. There's only 24 hours in a day when I'm said and done. But if, I did, if I did, I think I'd be a Marseille fan. Interesting. Um, it's it's kind of it, PSG is not winning the league right now, so you know it'll be yeah, coming down to the incredible. You know? Yeah, I love the whole Lille story, and I'm rooting for them to hang on for these last three games and win the league. What, what is there a Lille story? What? Is, well, it's just that, again, uh, you know, they just really focused on identifying young talent, bringing it through, uh, recognizing value where other uh, clubs have missed it. And uh, just, you know, anybody who punches above their weight in budgetary terms to the degree that Lille have, and like your, um, your Italian team, Atalanta, have, is just, for me, it's fantastic. I think... Modern football is uh, increasingly becoming stacked in favor of the handful of teams that have limitless budgets. You know, yeah. we're seeing in the Champions League this year, it's, it's the ultimate fruition of that. Uh, so when I see a Lille or an Atalanta, you know, bucking the trend in the manner they do, it just, it's just kind of what still makes the sport interesting to me. You know? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, Coming on this topic about a lot of like money owners, a few of the questions that we were asked, one of them was asked about the Glazers, and I think the question was more directed towards like should the Glazers still be owners of the of Manchester United, and you know a similar question to Arsenal, where should Kroenke still you know be owner of Arsenal? Um, the the difference between those two teams, I feel, is United still seems like a team that is like professionally run and is like knows what they're doing, whereas Arsenal just kind of seem in disarray. So you know, we we spoke about the European Super League, but now this has kind of brought this thing of removing these American owners. Like, what are your thoughts on those? Well, I think it's for a start. I think there's a few things that come to mind from your question. First of all, it's such a hypothetical concept because there's nothing in, in, in the legal framework of, of Western democracies that allows you to take an asset that somebody owns away from them. Okay, so the question is, um, should possibly be reframed is that should they be pressured to sell? Because if they don't want to, nobody can force them to. You know, um, yeah. 
that's number one. We don't have a 50 plus one uh, ownership rule in England as they do in Germany. So nobody can force them to sell. Now, the second thing I want to take up is your assertion that Manchester United are professionally run. I don't think they are at all. Um, you know, um, the Glaciers famously, when they acquired um, Manchester United in 2005, for any of our listeners that don't know this, they did a classic corporate leveraged uh, takeover, which was, uh, you know, and, and again, I didn't know anything about this because I'm not well versed in these matters. It's, it's common in the corporate world, but was unheard of in football, whereby they acquired the majority of Manchester United shares and then all of the shares eventually. But then they attached all of the acquisition debt to a club, the club. So this was a club that was incredibly well run prior to 2005 in financial and in sporting terms. Uh, you know, uh, they, they were the best team in England and one of the best teams in Europe under Sir Alex Ferguson. They were in the black all the time uh, in terms of their accounts. And, um, you know, uh, they were one of the wealthiest teams in the world based on not some rich benefactor who'd come in and poured his personal fortune into them, but in terms of building up their uh, their fan global fan base, uh, expanding Old Trafford so that it was the biggest uh, ground in England, and building up commercial revenues on the basis of their popularity as a football team. They did everything the right way. Uh, and then the Glaciers came along and attached all of this acquisition debt to the club. It was a shock to the club and the supporters at the time and have subsequently taken 1.5 billion out of the club, just them personally, in terms of dividends and the amount of debt that they've, the uh, acquisition debt that they've attached to the club. Um, so they've turned uh, the club that was perhaps the most profitable and biggest club in the world, arguably, to a club that's been in debt and they themselves have taken 1.5 billion out of the club. Um, and not only that, they put um, the investment banker who, who, was, who helped them arrange this leverage uh, uh, buyout, they put him in charge of the football side of the club as well. And it's been a complete shambles ever since. Um, despite being possibly the best followed team in the world, they haven't won the Premier League since 2013. They've been countless bad signings for big money that didn't work out. No coherence on the footballing side. So when you say they're well run, my question to you is, in what manner are they well run? So I think for me, it's just like comparing the two teams. Like I look at Arsenal and I, I at least see United like performing. I think I agree with you on the part where it's just like a lot of spending that's been going on. I really didn't know about how they're taking money away from the team and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, but that, now, now these teams, these teams that have benefactors with unlimited budgets like Manchester City and Chelsea are completely outperforming them now. But Manchester United's revenue is not coming from the Abu Dhabi royal family or from a Russian oligarch. It's all coming from the fact that they're a popular and successful football team. Right. And I feel really follow sad for their supporters that they're so mismanaged. They're, so a great, they're a great club that's been brought to its knees by their owners. So do you think in this sense like that it might be the way American owners run their teams is a bad thing or do you just think 
Uh, you know, I don't think I can tar all American owners with the same brush. Uh, but the, the Glazier family themselves, um, you know, the Manchester United core support, uh, as witnessed by last Sunday's demonstrations, absolutely hate them. And yeah. they don't. They're very distant. They're very non-communicative. You seldom hear from them. And as I say, this is a great, great football club that's been brought to its knees by its, their owners. So, I, I, I read that they apologized or they like made a statement apologizing for like joining the ESL. Do you think like that's, that's just enough of this situation or what do you think is uh, going to happen next? I have no idea, to be honest. I don't think anything's going to happen because they own the football club. Yeah. There's nothing within the legal framework, as I said, of our Western market-based democracies that allows you to take away an asset from somebody who owns it. Do you think that in today's world, if someone tried to buy Manchester United off the Glazers, it would be the biggest like buyout? Yeah, I think they remain uh, one of football's biggest assets. They still have a massive global fan base. They still have 80,000 people who come into Old Trafford every week, notwithstanding you know, pandemics and other problems that we currently face. Um, I don't think that in terms of potential buyers, it would have to be something like another sovereign wealth fund. And I don't want to see that, to be honest. <laughs> we have enough of that bullshit. <laughs> okay. So now coming to Arsenal, you know, I think it goes from away from, you know, the owners to the manager. What do you think of Arteta so far? And do you think he's the right man? Well, you know, I think he's done a remarkably good job under difficult circumstances, you know. Um, uh, it, it's it's a club that whose problems predate his arrival, to be honest. And uh, uh, you know, um, I think Arsene Wenger and his managerial genius allowed them to punch above their weight for the longest time, uh, where they were competing again with clubs like Manchester City and Chelsea, who have limitless resources. I mean, this whole league has become so doped. Unfortunately, it's one of the reasons I hardly watch it anymore. But in answer to your question, um, you know, I don't really lay any of the blame at Arteta's doorstep. I think they have, there has to be some kind of long-term vision. And, I, you know, they're just, they just don't, other than revenues, because they're traditionally a very, very well-supported team, this notion that they're part of some big six or big seven anymore, I just don't accept, you know. You know, the reason why we, I think, you know, I at least include them in that list is just the way, at least the players that they have or the way that they're spending on certain players. You know, like 70 million on Nicolas Pepe, you know, 50 million or whatever on Thomas Partey, you know, 300,000 plus contract for Aubameyang. You know, this is crazy money that they're spending out that, like, I feel like other teams are, you know, can't think about spending. Look, let, let, let's be honest about this, okay? Really, there's such a huge effect of, on, on money in football that it's hard to see anyone other than Manchester City or maybe Chelsea winning the league in coming years because they have benefactors who can just keep on pouring money into the club. UEFA won't stand up to them in terms of any financial fair play rules, and nor are there any rules in place in the UK. So it's going to be essentially over the long run, it's going to become a two-horse race. Now, Liverpool briefly punched above their weight since Klopp 
came in. Um, they have the 11th biggest uh, net spend in English football. It's lower than either Bournemouth or, uh, or Watford, who are now playing in championship. They've spent more money in the last six years than Liverpool have. But through, through an incredible coach and an incredible sporting director, they had this 24 months where they scored 196 points and got to two Champions League finals. But they can't sustain it. When Manchester City and Chelsea can afford to essentially have two brilliant players for every position, nobody, uh, and, and they're not forced to run their teams in a profitable manner, this league is going to become progressively uninteresting for anyone who isn't a Manchester City or Chelsea fan in the future. Uh, so if we're talking about money, I just don't know what everybody else is supposed to, supposed to be doing at this point. You know, um, until you have some system uh, like uh, you, you have in the United States. And I think this is one of the good things the Super League owners were trying to bring in, okay? That, that you limit wages to 55% of your revenue or something like that. But until that system's in place, it's going to be a very boring product to anyone that isn't a Manchester City or Chelsea fan. Right? Right. You know, I mean... I agree with you, but I see, you know, looking at the bigger leagues, like other leagues, like, for instance, like, the Serie A hasn't had a different winner since, like, Juventus, like, since Inter Milan this year for, like, almost, you know, since Conte won it for them back in, like, 2010 or 11. What, do you just think that clubs are just too big? But I think there's a big going? difference. I think there's a big difference, Yash. If you look at Juventus's domination of Serie A or Bayern Munich's domination of... Uh, you know, the Bundesliga, it's more akin to what Manchester United used to be or what Liverpool were in the 80s. And that it's in, done entirely because they're a very successful football club who have a huge fan base, okay? That increases their revenues and they're able to attract the best players and managers and dominate their league. I have no issue with that. What's ruining football is that you have owners, okay, who are sovereign wealth funds or Russian oligarchs or whatever, who where there's no imperative to run the club in the black. They can just keep putting money in and money in, and there's no need for them to be profitable. Their wealth is not based on any historical success or having a big fan base. It's just on, based on having Sheikh Mansour or Roman Abramovich or whatever putting limitless money in. So I think there's a big difference between that situation that we have in England and the Juvent, uh, and and also, you know, France is no different with PSGs. On what you have, say, with the dominance of Juventus or Bayern Munich or even Real Madrid or Barcelona, you know, these are not clubs that are run by sovereign wealth funds. They're just historically successful clubs who have a huge fan base and huge revenue. Manchester City and Chelsea do not fall into that category. With all due respect to the fans of those clubs, I'm really happy for them that they're finally, you know, uh, finally getting what they want. But this was inevitable. That's my point. If it wasn't this year, it was going to be next year. Right. You know, and it may be now that we have, we never have a, a Champions League final that doesn't feature Manchester City, PSG or Chelsea because they're in a separate category from everyone else. There's no imperative on them to run their clubs in a profitable manner. Right. So they're going to be the super elite within the sport. Yeah. No, yeah, no, you know, it's totally true because a manager comes in, 
And I think that's no, one, no. sorry to interrupt, that's no. one of the reasons that Juventus, Real Madrid and Barcelona were so desperate to have some kind of other setup there, in fairness to them. They simply cannot compete with these three clubs. Yeah. That's actually true. I think, you know, there, there are so many talks about the financial fair play and all those things, and I just don't see them being... Um, I remember City got in trouble a few years ago, and they were, like, two years ago or something, and they were not going to be in the fourth-place position or not well, stay in the Champions yeah. League. The thing that City enabled City to wriggle out of this was that there's a statute of limitations of five years. Okay, so the prosecution was brought too late to them. The Court of Arbitration in, uh, of Sport in Geneva, the case went to them that UEFA brought against City, but unfortunately, UEFA's bylaws stipulate a statute of limitation. And in 2014, when City narrowly beat uh, 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 Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool to the title, you know, with the famous slip from Steven Gerrard, etc., mm -hmm. it's quite clear that City had big sponsorship contracts from Etihad Airlines. And I need to be careful because, you know, somebody could come after me legally by just saying this in a podcast, <laughs> that were being inflated by Sheikh Mansour that weren't genuine, um, genuine sponsorship contracts, okay? And, and the Court of Arbitration in Sport didn't even contest that. The reason the case got thrown out was because there was a five-year statute of limitations on prosecution, okay? And, um, you know, I'm not one of those fans that can just watch the game on the pitch without paying attention to all of this stuff. Yeah. And that's why the case got thrown out. Now, if the governing bodies of our sport that we all love had any teeth, or dare I say it, any balls, you know, that 2014 title should be taken away from City. You know, because, again, it's just pure financial doping. Right. And, uh, uh, and you know, we're seeing a Champions League final this year between two of the three biggest financial dopers in the sport. Right. No, it's crazy. I think you're you're totally right. It's um, the you know football's gone that way, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've begun this by saying, oh, I've started watching different leagues. Yeah, same here. You know, that's why I watch the Bundesliga. I love their fifty plus one rule, and that's what that's why I watch the championship. I watch my beloved Coventry City in the championship. That's ninety nine percent of my viewing this year. I've even become disillusioned, you know, with Liverpool because of John Henry's attempts. First of all, with his project Big Picture, and secondly with this whole European Super League fiasco. It's just, you know, the sport at the highest level in the Premier League and the Champions League has just stopped interesting me. What do you, what do you think you're going to do? Like, what are you, are you going to just watch different leagues or lower well, I'm leagues? I'm just constantly finding, I'm sure I'll get back to the Premier League. I, mean, <laughs> I just love the sport so much. Uh, and, you know, I'm kind of constantly looking for things that I can really enjoy watching. I'm really looking forward to the Euros, for instance. Yeah. Because you know, if you're the manager of you know France or, or or Germany or whoever or the Netherlands, you can't have you know Sheikh Mansour or Roman Abramovich go and buy you six new players before the tournament. So right. there's there's a kind of purity to that football that I can still enjoy. You know, so there's plenty in the sport to still keep me happy. It it, it it's the highest level and particularly. The big English clubs, I think, that have just distorted the whole game at the highest level that's left me uninterested. 
I'll use an analogy in American sport. You know, um, you know, I loved the Golden State Warriors up till about 2015, and you had Curry, Thompson, and Draymond Green, a team that had beat it, beat uh, won everything organically. Uh, and, and then, you know, the day that Durant signed, I was no longer interested. You know, and then I was completely uninterested in the Lakers last year because you know they just got LeBron and Anthony Davis in, and um, they dominated the league. And everybody's raving about the Nets this year again with Durant and Kyrie Irving and Harden. But for me, they're just so uninteresting to see a team that's loaded in that manner um, dominate other teams. It's just not what I watch sports for. You know, well, and that's, yeah. I was, I was going to say the Suns are doing really well this year, huh? Yeah, yeah they, are. Know, they are. That's going to be fun to watch. That's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, well, we haven't made the playoffs in a long time. So, you know, hopefully we do well this year, make it at least to the second round. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great. I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker see what they can do in the postseason. They've had a great, yeah. great regular season. I know. Hopefully it, you know, continues. Um, but, you know, what I was going to ask you is that the La Liga is coming to an interesting end. Barcelona yeah. and Atletico Madrid drew yeah, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. That was an interesting game. And, um, and then if- Real Madrid are playing uh, against uh, Valencia today, right? It was the top. It's an amazing weekend. The top four are all playing each other. Yeah, and uh, place already. I don't know. As we were talking, I haven't even looked at today's scores. Yeah, I should. <laughs> quick look. I think we could take a quick look for sure. That's so funny. Uh, <laughs> um, Real Madrid. Uh, so they're playing Sevilla at three. Sorry, Sevilla. Yeah. yeah. Did I say Valencia? My apologies yeah. to Sevilla. <laughs> Of course. So that's going to be an interesting game, actually. Um, unfortunately, yesterday's yeah. game was a nil-nil. But if Madrid win today, they're going to be tied with Atletico for first. What do you um, do? You have any predictions or anything from for the you know, that's who's going to win? Very, very difficult situation to call. Obviously, um, I think Atletico were narrow favorites going into this weekend. In my mind, they just hang on to it all. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I would think that yesterday's result um, doesn't change that a whole lot. Um, you know, I, I would still, uh, I think it's a three-horse race still. I think Barcelona needed a win yesterday, I'll be honest, yeah. to really uh, get back into this title race. I don't think it's impossible for them to win. Um, going into this weekend, my feeling was that Atletico would just about hang on, and that hasn't changed. How about you? Yeah, um, I'm just looking at their remaining fixtures. They play Real Sociedad, they play um, Osasuna, and they play, um, I think, uh, Valladolid. Um, So, at least two easy games. um, So, you know, at least they can pick up six points over there. I, I think if Madrid can win today, I'd, I'm going to say I'm going to put them. But they have some really tough games. They have Villarreal. They have Athletic Bilbao. They have Granada. So it's going to be interesting to see. This is going to be an interesting final few weeks in the La Liga for sure. I, uh, I would agree with you uh, in that uh, Madrid are more likely than Barcelona at this point to, yeah. uh, to overtake Atletico. But I think a lot will depend on the result of today's game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's going to be interesting. And you look, even um, you know the French League is still going on. That's still yeah. interesting. So, you know, we still have some a few weeks of good football before the summer comes in. And yeah. 
um, you know, the Euro start. But um, how's your how's your commentary doing in uh, the championship? Yeah, a, a fantastic season. You know, they came up uh, to the championship after nine years spent languishing in the third and fourth tier. And, um, you know, they had the second lowest budget in that league. Um, uh, it, it, it's a league that's extremely financially stratified, even more so than the Premier League. Uh, but they stayed, you know, they, they, they were safe with like three games to go and they ended up finishing... Um, I, th I think 15th in the end, which was which is just really um, exceeded all of our expectations. Played some really good football uh, with largely uh, the same group of players, with one or two additions and some good loan signings um, that they came up with, and, and um, uh, there's a lot of a free agent coming up, um, uh, you know, in the Premier League and the Championship because clubs' budgets are really reduced by the pandemic. Uh, yeah, they yeah. ended up finishing 16th. And the nice thing was they finished ahead of some really big clubs, Nottingham Forest, Birmingham, Derby County, Sheffield Wednesday, who went down as well. And they finished ahead of one club, Huddersfield, who were still getting Premier League parachute payments. So... Um, which is, uh, you know, which is an amazing achievement, I think. Of course, you know, the entire uh, English Football League, the EFL, hate premiership, premiership uh, parachute payments because it almost guarantees that the same clubs bounce straight back up who went down. Yeah. This, this season's a great example with Norwich and Watford going up and the third team who came down, Bournemouth being in the playoffs, yeah. just because they have so much more resources than the rest of the league. And I think, the Football League would love to have take that money that the Premier League gives in parachute payments and divide it amongst the whole division to create a little bit more equity. But of course, the Premier League clubs would never vote for that because at the back of their mind, they think, oh, you know, there could be a season when we're relegated and we need to have that financial advantage over everybody else in the division below so that we can come straight back. So right. it just creates so much inequity. Um, amongst uh, that league. But for Coventry to come up on such a low budget and finish ahead of a team like uh, Huddersfield, who are in their second of three years of Premier League um, parachute payments, they were playing in the Premier League as, as recently uh, as two years ago, is an achievement that I'm immensely proud of as a Coventry fan. That's awesome. And the last game yesterday uh, was against uh, Millwall who finished several places ahead of them, and they won 6-1, so it's a nice, oh, way, to wow. Look at that. Yeah, nice way to finish off the season and, uh, you know, just continue the positivity going into the summer and, uh, you know, will be really interesting to see yeah, what, their, what their recruitment looks like this summer. Nice, yeah, you know, talking about teams coming in and out, you know, Fulham and West Brom look like they're going to be back in the championships yeah, championship very soon. It's crazy because Fulham is just is the exact like you know epitome of that team that just yeah. bounces from the Premier from League to the, yeah, and it's uh, very difficult for the rest of the clubs in that division, as I say, to compete with Fulham and West Brom next year because they'll just have so much more money, you know. Right. Yeah. And Sheffield United. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sheffield United was a big surprise. How a lot of us were talking about them being in our top ten and really performing well. You know, it's crazy to see them being relegated. Like, what do you think went wrong? Um, it's difficult to say, to be honest. I think 
the simple thing is that some of their big signings didn't really come off. Um, I know Sander Burge has done well, and there'll be a lot of people uh, perhaps looking to pick him up um, if Sheffield United are willing to sell. But some of their other big signings, Rian Brewster from, from Liverpool in particular, I think they expected more from him. And, and uh, they always, you know, the first season they were up, they stuck to the core group of players that not only brought them into the championship, but brought them up from uh, into the Premier League, but brought them up from League One as well. They've had two promotions in three seasons. And, and for one season, they were just able to really, really punch above their weight. But I think everybody knew that they would eventually have to upgrade that group and start bringing in some players. And I just don't think the signings worked out for them is probably... Um, the simple answer to your question. And I think, you know, losing Dean Henderson as well, you know, United were unwilling to extend his loan for a third season and they saw him as challenging De Gea for that starting spot at United, which he's doing. Yeah. I, in my opinion, he's the best English goalkeeper right now. And that's something we may talk about in, in coming weeks when we start looking at the Euros and England squad and discussions like that. Um, so I don't think Aaron Ramsdale, who they brought in from Bournemouth, uh, did as good a job as Henderson did in the previous two seasons. And that's just one example of how their signings didn't really pay off. I think that's the simple answer to your question. Uh, and it culminated in losing Chris Wilder, who I think I'm sure will get a very, very good job in the near future. He was talked about at Celtic, I know. Uh, he was talked about that's possibly coming in uh, West Bromwich Albion if they choose not to stick with Big Sam in the wake of a relegation. Or I think Big Sam may not want to, may not have the appetite at his stage of his career where he was already in semi-retirement for trying to get him out of the championship. Yeah, okay. Um, did you by any chance get to watch the Chelsea City game or watch the highlights right at all? Uh, I, I, yeah, I saw. I saw uh, the goals and well yeah. done Chelsea, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, it's good to see them go there and challenge City and with the Champions League final coming up and, uh, you know, and they've got an FA Cup final coming up. I think the three points pretty much assures them top four now so they can focus on those two big finals coming up. But uh, yeah, well done to Chelsea and I think yeah. they've just done such an amazing job in maximizing the potential of an outstanding group of players. There, you know, just he's absolutely the right coach at the right time for them. I know. I think I think they've really listened to you. Look forward to years and years of success under Tuchel. I hope so. You know, it's uh, it's looking good so far. But I think one thing I've kind of learned, especially recording this podcast, is that you know things I say very soon become. You know, there's like a different story. You know, things don't last too long. Well, that's why we love sports. You can't yeah. just predict what's going to happen out on the field or out on the court. You know, right. uh, it's, not, it's not a game that's played in our heads or on paper. It's a game that's played in the real world. Let me ask you as a Chelsea fan who, you know, with this great season that you guys have had, particularly since the managerial change, you know, you're in the Champions League final, you're in the FA Cup final, you're comfortably in the top four for next season. Um who are the standout players in your mind uh, that really, really are, are taking Chelsea forward? I mean, uh, you know, I would throw the name Mason Mount out there just as a yes. football team. 
Are there any others? Would you agree with that? Are there any others that you'd want to highlight as a Chelsea fan for you? I think Mason Mount is my number one. I think, you know, I remember watching him under Lampard the first season, and there were a lot of frustrations, I think, as me as a Chelsea fan, because that was like the first time where we were depending on, you know, our academy players that weren't at the level that we were used to getting, you know, in instantly. We were just used to getting a really good player, and he was going to perform. But we kind of saw, you know, a lot of these academy players kind of develop. And one of the things that I just love about Mason Mount is just that he just doesn't stop. Like, he has, like, this... I really feel that nowadays... Like, Mourinho talks about this, where he says that, you know, when I was, like, working with Lampard at 23, like, he was a man. You know, now right. these these kids at 23 are boys. You know, you, you have to handle them a lot better. But I think Mason Mount is one of those guys that still seems like he's, like, the old school way. Like, that he's someone who's just going to really outwork everyone. Mm. And you see it on the field. Like, if I, Mason Mount is probably going to be my number one name on the team sheet. Um, but Chelsea and England, I would think. You know. Yeah, you know, I really hope he gets a chance for England. You know, there's yeah, some... Yeah. England has some amazing youngsters out there, yeah, yeah. but I really, really hope that Mason Mount gets his chance at England because I think he'll. No, really I have a question for you. This this whole narrative of Mason Mount being a really hard worker and giving everything on the field and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, do you think we don't give him enough credit for being technically a really good footballer as well? <sighs> yeah. He really, I, I honestly, in his game, it's really hard to tell like what he doesn't contain right now. You know, like he's just, yeah. he's just really performing well. Some, you know, there were times where I was, like, Tuchel plays him in his front three of players, mm -hmm. and it always makes me wonder if he's able to play in that role because I was always like, oh, he's a center attacking midfielder, mm. but I just think he can do anything. You know, the way he runs, the way he puts pressure. The positioning, the passing. I think, I think he's like our man. Like, and I really hope that we can keep him for as long as yeah, yeah, as possible. You know, and the fact that he came out through our academy might really be a big bonus for that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to me that since Tuchel's come in, he's rotated a lot of the young English players in and out of the team. You know, we've seen that with Hudson Odoi, Rhys James, Ben Chilwell. Uh, to a lesser extent, Tammy Abraham. We haven't seen much of him at all. But the one person who's just been a fixture in his starting eleven is Mason Mount. And yeah. that really says something, I think, for both the player. Um, and, you know, he was, I think, a lot of people unfairly uh, perceived him to be one of Lampard's favorites. You know, they spent some time at Derby together when he was there on loan. And then he was a constant part of, uh, you know, Lampard's starting eleven when he was in charge. But I think Tuchel coming in and him being, you know, it seems one of the first people on Tuchel's um, starting uh, 11 every week. Hopefully, he nobody will, can accuse him now of being one of Lampard's favorites. He's, he's right. totally proven that he's in that team on merit, I think. Right. No, I totally agree. And I really hope that, you know, he continues that in the Euros. I yeah. think him playing for England will be uh. amazing. And there's some terrific young footballers who don't start every week at Chelsea, like Pulisic and Havertz. Yeah. But Mount, Mount gets picked every week, it seems. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, Mount is definitely starting that game. Um, 
it makes me really, really happy to see that, you know, that one of our players has really, you know, developed to that stage. I think the next one is probably going to be Reese James. I think Reese James is almost at that point where he's just going to be an absolute regular. I yeah. think right now the reason why he doesn't sometimes doesn't get picked is maybe, um, maybe you know, Tukel wants to go with a safer option with Aspilicueta as like a more yeah. defensive option. But I think long term, I think Reese James is definitely going to be our next one that's going to be, um, you know, there for the long, like you know, stay there and be consistently starting. Mm. Um, but no, I know that he's used Hudson Adoy as well in that right wing back position from time to time. Yeah. Do you see Reese James uh, as a more integral part of Chelsea's long-term future than Hudson Odoi? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Yeah, you know, although I think Hudson Odoi has been playing has or has played right wing back, I think that's definitely not his like preferred position. I think he would like to play, you know, in the wings or further up front. Yeah, uh, um, there's so, so much it, competition in those positions for Chelsea, right? Right there. There is, but you know, He's right competing now, against Ziyech and Mount and Pulisic and even Werner sometimes yeah. gets used in those wide attacking positions. I just don't. Yeah, it's it's a nice problem to have as a coach, but I I sometimes wonder how Tuchel figures who's figure out who's going to play and who's not going to play. You know. Yeah, I, you know the thing with Hudson Odoi is I don't see that same hunger that I see in a lot of the other players, and I think it's because maybe he's a little younger than the others. But I feel like Tuchel is going to take his time and figure out a way to like get the best out of Hudson Odoi. And um, right. I, think, I think Tuchel's the right coach for him. I think so. You know, even after the match yesterday, you know, even though Hudson Odoi got only 20 minutes or something, you know, he was talking to him about a lot of things and stuff after the game. And you could see that. And I think Tuchel is the right man for it. I think maybe next year you could see Hudson Odoi, you know, starting a lot of games or definitely, you know, consistently coming off the bench, being your first man or second man, you know, to come off the bench. So I I think it's only positive from here for Hudson Odoi mm-hmm. under Tuchel, I feel. Um but yeah, you know, let's let's talk about some games maybe we're looking forward to coming up to the yeah. end of the season. Absolutely. Are there any particulars? Yeah, yeah, so I think there's two really great domestic cup finals uh, this yeah. coming up this week. Uh, and, you know, when I was growing up, the FA Cup final was the biggest game of the year. There weren't too many televised games, and it was, you know, it was almost bigger than winning the league. I think the fact that you don't get into the Champions League by winning any of your domestic cups now has really devalued the competition. And one of the reforms I'd like to see maybe in the future is take one of the Champions League places away from the teams at the top and give it to the winner of the domestic cup in every country and those competitions would suddenly just become as prestigious as they used to be. But anyway, in uh, first of all, on Thursday in Germany, we have Dortmund against Leipzig, which is a great uh, DF, DF, um, DFB Pokal final. I hope I've said that correctly. Um, uh, and that's, a, that, that's potentially a great game. Uh, you know, um, Julian Nagelsmann's probably last big game in charge of Leipzig before he goes on to Bayern Munich. Um, and the American uh, Jesse Marsh takes over at Leipzig, which I'm incredibly right. excited about. I was going to ask only, you about that. Yeah. yeah, not only are there some terrific young American footballers playing all over Europe now, but we have this American coach who's, who's currently at Salzburg uh, within the Red Bull organization, and now it's being given a really, really big opportunity at Leipzig. So I'm really excited to see how he does that next season. 
Uh, and then um, on Saturday, we have the FA Cup final, Chelsea uh, against Leicester. The two best English teams not currently playing in Manchester, I would say. Uh, and uh, so that that is going to be a really, really interesting game. Good luck to both sets of fans, uh, you know, to you as a Chelsea fan, but also to any Leicester fans out there. I think two really, really exciting teams, Chelsea and Leicester, who both like to play good, um, good modern tactical variation of the game. You know, I think two managers who won't go out all guns blazing. So it should be a really, really interesting tactical battle between Rodgers and Tuchel. Chelsea are rightly, I think, favourites for that game. Uh, but, uh, you know, over 90 minutes, anything can happen. So two right. really interesting domestic cup finals coming up this weekend. I don't know when the Spanish cup final is between Athletic, Bilbao and Barcelona. Is that this weekend as well? Let me just quickly look that up while you're talking about games um, that uh, excite you in the coming days. I've yeah. probably taken all the good ones there. I apologize. No, no, no. Um, I'm actually looking forward to um, that Liverpool United game. Yeah, know? I forgot about that. You know, that was, uh, especially with all the the you know protests and stuff that happened I, I, I'm really interested to see like what actually happens in the game um, and I think Liverpool and United have you know um, like obviously this huge huge rivalry between them um, so I think I, it's the biggest rivalry in English football you know yeah yeah I think them and um, Arsenal Tottenham but I think you know definitely in terms of you know, success, I think, United-Liverpool is, like, the biggest rivalry. Um, so it's going to be a good one to watch. I really want to see what comes out of it. Hopefully, you know, I can never see United win, unfortunately. I just never want to see them succeed. So, uh, <laughs> always going to be supporting Liverpool in that situation. Um, yeah. So that's going to be interesting. When it, comes to these dis- when it comes to these discussions, I am aware that we have listeners who potentially support all teams. So I'm trying <laughs> I try and put my personal preferences to one side, and I want to say, you know, just just to try and balance that out a little bit. I'm a Liverpool fan, but, you know, good luck to United, you know, both in the Europa League final coming up and in their game against Liverpool. They're a massive, big club, and they're doing very well under Solskjaer right now. So I'm sure, uh, you know, the, to any United fans listening, you know, uh, good luck for both those games. <laughs> Um, do you think Cavani is their man? Do you think they're going to sign him for another year? Or should they? I don't see why they wouldn't, to be honest. He's had a terrific season. I don't think he's the long-term solution at centre-forward. I think they'd love to get their hands on Erling Haaland, just as every big club would in Europe. Whether he wants to go there or not is up to him. I think Dortmund's victory um, away at uh, Leipzig, no, home to Leipzig yesterday, means they've edged back into the top four. If they finish in the top four, Haaland will definitely stay for another season. Um, and he has a release clause in 2022 of just 75 million euros. So every big club in Europe will be after him at that, at that point. But yeah. in answer to the question, I think, yeah, they will keep Cavani on for at least one more season while they're figuring out who their long-term solution is in that position. I think if Harry Kane were three or four years younger than he is, they'd break the bank for him. But the type of money that um, Tottenham will want for Kane probably won't make sense for a 28, 29-year-old. Do you think Do you think anyone's buying Harry Kane now? I don't, no. I think um, 
I think uh, uh, Tottenham will will want um, uh, upwards of 100 million for him, and um, I just don't think it makes sense at his age that kind of transfer fee, especially when money's short. Again, there's only probably three clubs who could afford him: City, Chelsea, and PSG at this point, and I don't see any of them um, spending upwards of 100 million on a 29-year-old. No. Really, I thought like United would be kind of favourites and thinking about Kane. I, I don't think I, I can't see it. I just can't see it. I, I just don't see. Again, it comes back to the money. Kane's tied into a long-term contract at Tottenham, so Tottenham can ask whatever they want, and I don't see them letting him go for less than a hundred million. And I just don't think he's worth it at his age. You know. Yeah. Uh, I think you're better off spending that money on a younger centre-forward. I'm a little bit of an agnostic when it comes to Harry Kane. I know <laughs> they like to see him as, as up there, be, being up there with the best centre-forwards on the planet. You know, I, I, ju- I just don't think he's in the Lewandowski, Benzema, Haaland bracket at all. He's probably on the next level down, I would think. Maybe he and Lukaku are probably just on that next level, being superb centre-forwards. But I, it's just absolutely... That first, first list of three, you know, Benzema, Lewandowski and Haaland, I just see as being the absolute best in that position there is right now. I don't personally see Kane as being part of that group. I know a lot of people in England would disagree with that. He's a great footballer. I just don't think he's... For me, that's the absolute upper echelon number nine is playing the game right now. What about you? Do you think he belongs in that group? Uh, no, I don't. I think Benzema, especially watching him against Chelsea, you know, he's carrying that Real Madrid team right now. So I definitely have a lot of respect for him. Do you think there's anybody else who belongs in that group of three? Um, Given right, that Mbappe um, and Salah and people like that prefer to attack from a wide position, so yeah. they're not really in this discussion. I'm talking more about traditional centre-forwards. No, I don't think right now, no. I also think that there's like a Lewandowski, you know, Benzema and Holland right now are just at a different level. Um, you know, those are those strikers that you just depend on and know that they're going to, you know, perform day in, day out. Um, and you can see that in all areas of, you know, the game, uh, not just their scoring ability. Um, I think there are some really good strikers out there, like you were saying, Lukaku and Kane. And although Kane, Tottenham is very dependent on Kane, um, I just don't think that he's at the level that like Lewandowski's at right now or yeah. Benzema's at right now. Um, I think you're absolutely right. You know, three, four years earlier, and this would be like a different conversation with yeah. Harry Kane. Um, but I just, I, I, I kind of just feel for him. I just wish he wins something in his career, you know? Yeah. I just hope. <laughs> yeah, but, I do. Yeah. You know, but, you know, he's, He's going to end up captaining his country into two or three big tournaments. He's been to a Champions League final. So, you know, he's had a good career. He's a great player. He's had a good career. I, I, don't, I don't buy this notion that you can't have had a good career if it didn't involve like a Premier League or a Champions League or something like that. It's, right. it's just, for me, he's a great footballer. And the fact that, um, you know, uh, in 2016, when Leicester won the league, I think Tottenham really threw it away that time. And then, obviously, in 2019, he went for 
as close as getting to the Champions League final. So he's come close, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it just never quite happened for him. But I don't think that detracts from being the great English centre forward of his generation, you know. Mm-hmm. He will be that regardless of winning anything. There's a lot yeah. of good footballers who didn't win anything. And major, it's not something I lose sleep over. And I'm certainly not going to lose sleep over worrying, crying about Harry Kane not winning anything. As much as I admire him, fantastic yeah. And I think he's so much more than a goal scorer. I think his, his playmaking abilities, while maybe not in the league of a Benzema, uh, are, are also a big part of his game. And the older he's got, he loves to, you know, drop deep and play in runners like Son ahead of him or for England, you know, the likes of Sterling, Rashford, Sancho, I don't know who else is coming through, Mason Mount, you know, he'll be, he, he, he has so much more to offer than just scoring goals. Yeah. Well, okay, this has been fun, Sonny Mama. Yeah, yeah, good uh, discussion as always. Yeah, thank and, you so uh, much. We've got plenty to talk about in coming weeks, including the Champions League final, the Euros, England squads, this, uh, you know, maybe a review of the Premier League season. I'm looking forward to having more of these discussions. It's that part of the season where there's a lot to talk about. Right, yeah, so hopefully another two weeks we can come out with another episode. Definitely. We'll talk about some fun stuff. So, yeah, thank you so much, everyone, for listening, if you made it this far. We really appreciate it. And keep uh, keep your questions coming. Uh, You know, I know Yash has has been, and I, we both recorded a couple of separate little videos on social media answering your questions, and that's been fun to do. We'll continue to do that. Yeah, uh, we'll continue to do that um, every week, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can um, answer some of your questions. It's been fun. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Stay safe. You and your loved ones, stay safe. Take care. Bye-bye.